today, um, there was some familiarity. We heard a lot from the defense and a lot from the prosecution about arguments that we had heard before. And it was almost like, wait a minute, this stuff has been decided. And that's why we're here at a sentencing hearing. So a lot of that went by. And then there were things to clear up that were specific. We talked through those. Um... Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, November 18th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone. As you know, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman. As you know, technology reporter for NBC News Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Channel. Now, folks, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. We're awaiting the sentencing in the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos case. So we're going to do a shorter initial show today, then edit in that breaking story as soon as we get it. Scott will be on the scene, as always, because he has been joined at the hip with this case now for, what, 14 months? Yeah, <laughs> about that, yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's get into the news and we'll we'll go for a little while and then we'll do a quick pause and we'll cut in after the uh, case. So uh, it's been a wild week, obviously. I mean, it wasn't like I had a shortage of stories that we could, you know, do a short, short show today. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, now, I assume you're going to be in the courtroom tomorrow. Yes, uh, the courtroom will be where the sentencing is held. And, you know, it'll be interesting. We've seen even in the last few days. The uh, defense side, Elizabeth Holmes side, giving in letters, including from Cory Booker, uh, you know, sort of a t t testimonies to her character and why she should not go away. Her side is asking for a maximum of 18 months in prison. And then on the other side, you have the prosecution putting its letter forward, asking for 15 years in prison, along with $800,000 in financial restitution to investors. So obviously, I guess we see why there hasn't been a deal cut. These two sides are miles apart, and it'll be interesting to see what the judge ultimately decides for her sentence. I'm amazed how far the span is of the arguments have moved over. I mean, there was talk of suspended sentence, give her, you know, time at home, time served, community service, something pretty benign. And now her own defense is saying, please, just 18 months. That, yeah, I'm not sure how... Something come out that we don't know about? Well, no, I think we know everything that's come out. I just, I don't know all that much about how these work. But at some point, right, the arguments that we started to get after the trial ended of, hey, she should have a new case or, hey, this should be dismissed. There just wasn't enough evidence. You're right. Rapidly turned to, okay, we'll settle for 18 months. And I don't know exactly where that figure came from. Wow. But given what the prosecution wants, that would be a very light sentence. I just don't know where the judge stands on, on any of this, really, other than he ran a pretty tight ship of a uh, of a case, and then he gets the final say. If, if the prosecution gets their way, not to be sentimental, because you're not supposed to be sentimental about this, but she would literally only see her children until adulthood on visitation days. Right. I mean, one of her uh, sons, her, her, she has an 18-month-old right now and is expecting a second child. Uh, so the guess is, according to some of my lawyer friends, that whatever sentence is handed down will be 
uh, delayed until she can have the child and then perhaps spend some time with that uh, newborn. Uh, but right, I mean, that would be, if, if it's up in the, the area of 10 to 15 years, a long time when you have two very young children at home. And, and again, I don't know if that comes into account, uh, but this is what is being faced right now. Well, that's pretty intense. That's pretty dark. Okay, well, uh, I'm looking forward to your report tomorrow. We'll have a lot to talk about. In the meantime, you would have thought that layoffs would be the big story this week, but it turns out FTX. This has turned into, I don't want to say cluster, you know what, but this is an unbelievable story. I mean, it's being compared to Broadcom and Worldcom and Bernie Madoff and all the rest as an incredible Ponzi scheme. Now, we've often talked about cyber currency as being kind of a Ponzi scheme, but this is the real thing by the looks of it. Right. I mean, um, billions have been lost. Right. You know, FTX was an exchange. They had a hedge fund. You know, what business a crypto exchange has in having a hedge fund is beyond me, but it just got more and more dangerous. They issued tokens and the tokens were worthless. It all came crashing down. And, you know, you mentioned a Ponzi scheme, and I, I don't want to call it that necessarily, but let's say that the only way this thing makes money is if other people keep investing. I think that is the definition of I that. believe that is a Ponzi scheme, yeah. Yeah, and, and it seems- He billions off of that. He gave it to a Demo to the Democratic Party during the elections. I mean, he, he got to be this sort of major figure handing out huge sums of money to his, you know, his causes he cared about. This right, you're talking incredible. about Sam Bankman-Fried, the uh, the CEO of FTX, and, and, and you know, on the list of unusual kid CEO tycoons, he's kind of up there. You know, he's a pretty odd guy. Well, I mean, sure, he donated tens of millions of dollars to the Democratic Party. He was a major philanthropist in even other ways. Um, he was living on the Bahamas, all of 30 years old. You saw him dress for formal occasions in t-shirts and shorts. Um, I we we just haven't gotten over whatever it is in society that allows these young tech guys to get away with that. And it's all guys. A woman who dressed like that wouldn't be called a genius. She'd be called sloppy. For some reason, this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, was called a genius um, until everyone realized that he wasn't. And now um, you have lawsuits. You have uh, tens of millions of dollars in losses. You have a guy in the Bahamas who is... You know, speaking of of fraud trials, um, I mean, who knows what what's ahead for him if even um, he's brought back to the U.S. and and I, I, I it just boggles the mind how quickly sixteen billion dollars of his own fortune and thirty two billion dollars, which was the value of uh, FTX, was lost. Um, I mean, this was a fast, quick disaster, even by cyber uh, by crypto standards, and that's saying something. And as of Thursday. He started blaming his girlfriend for all of this, showing that chivalry certainly, certainly isn't dead. I mean, he didn't even man up and take the, take the you know the cost of this thing. No, no, my girlfriend she influenced me to make all these bad investments. Well, I mean, that's what none of this is making him look good, and I just hope that people don't get constantly fooled by this kind of thing. I mean. There are plenty of people who jumped into FTX and are still in Binance and are in Bitcoin. And I, I don't know what they think the outcome of this is going to be if they haven't been paying attention. Uh, but, but at some point, you just have to say, 
you know, good luck with this, but it's not the banks. It's not dollars. It's not backed by any federal insurance. It's just the Wild West. Yeah. And like a bank, FTX couldn't cover its outstanding debts. I mean, banks reinvested in other ways. And I guess that's what he was trying to do, but it caught up with him. Uh, and he's pulling a lot of people, famous people, celebrities who signed on and promoted it, like Tom Brady, into the black hole behind him. And he's ruining a lot of reputation, just like Bernie Madoff did. Right. Um, you know, there are lawsuits now that include Tom Brady and Steph Curry um, and Larry David. Uh, you know, you saw all the Super Bowl ads. Um, sure. I mean, think about, you know, how far this stuff has fallen since the Super Bowl. We had all these multiple ads, including for FTX including for crypto.com. FTX was on an arena. Bitcoin was trading for 62,000 a coin. Um, I mean, and that was only 10 months ago. I mean, yeah. a lot can change in a short period of time. This is not investing. Got to be accurate. Remember the whole commercial is people saying, you can't do that. It can't be done. Well, here we are. Right. Some, people are uh, some people are going all the way and, you know, to the extreme and saying, cyber currency is dead. No one will ever trust it again. I mean, I can see seriously wounded. I can see, you know, the Justice Department coming in and, and all the and, uh, FCC and everyone coming in and asserting real controls now on that entire industry. Locking perhaps, but I'll, I'll push back just in a couple of ways. One, remember, this is not a very large part of our economy at all. It's a tiny part of our economy. So sure. I don't know how seriously you know, the SEC will be taking this. Um, that said, people are losing real money. Um, that also said, Bitcoin fell from about 21,000. This is going to come down. Right. Bitcoin fell from about 21,000 to 15,000 in the day of the, the huge crash when we realized what was going on with FTX. It has since gone up to about 16,500. So instead of just completely capitulating and saying, we're done with all of this, uh, Bitcoin investors are saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to hold on for dear life. We're going to hold for a little while longer. Um, and again, I don't know why, but people are going to stick with this. Um, and, and I don't just mean people who are sticking with it because they think it's going to be an honest to goodness currency. They're sticking with it for the speculative investment part of it. Um, and again, it's a tiny sliver of our economy overall, but it's starting to get real money. As you yourself said, it's got big investors. It's got celebrity endorsements. It has the lion's share of Super Bowl advertising just 10 months ago. So yeah, maybe it's due for some, some investigations and some crackdowns because I would venture to bet that a lot of the people that lost their money um, were, were young people who were sort of experimenting with this and who didn't have the money to lose. And what word have you always used with this industry? I'm thinking about getting a t-shirt made that says Silicon Insider, underneath it, quote, it's frothy. <laughs> you know, frothy I would use for something that's exciting and maybe getting a little too exciting. Uh, the yeah. number one hit that's on the charts for 47 weeks, you know, uh, an investment that has nothing behind it is not frothy. That's just speculative and it's a mistake. And dangerous. Yes. Well, you hear from uh, the new chief executive officer, John J. Ray III, and he said, quote, this is, I've never heard a quote like this before in finance. Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information. 
from a compromised system's integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individual individuals. This situation is unprecedented. Apparently, they didn't even have board meetings. They didn't take notes on those non-existent board meetings, and they never filed the notes which you're supposed to do with the state. They didn't do any of that stuff. It sounds like they just sat around like in a dorm room and ran this multi, multi-billion dollar enterprise just on whatever they felt like doing. It does sound like that, although I don't think it was a dorm room. I think it was what they're saying, a $40 million place in the Bahamas. Uh, yeah. No doubt. Where, that's where he's hiding right now. Is there extradition from the, from the Bahamas? I don't know. I, I think, think there is. Yeah, I think there is. And and I imagine it's a matter of time before there's, um, you know, that, that Sam Bankman-Fried has some whatever legal action taken against him uh, after all, all these lawsuits are filed and, and there's a, tens of millions of dollars missing. Yeah, and uh, it, here's what's going to hang them. They had a single unsecured group me group email used to access private keys and sensitive data around the world, and they often communicated through applications that auto-deleted in short order and asked employees to do the same. So it looks like they were kind of covering their tracks all the way through this. That looks a whole lot more like criminal conspiracy rather than just you know plain stupidity and incompetence. Is that the digital modern version of shredding documents? I think so. I think so. So uh, we'll probably see more of it. Okay. Um, let's get to layoffs because I'm here. Not only did I hear from all over the media around the world about, I'm sure you did too, about uh, Elizabeth Holmes, but also about, is this the end of Silicon Valley? You know, I was on the BBC World Radio with the guy from layoffs.fyi. And he said there's been 130,000 layoffs in tech so far. And uh, as you noted last week, we're up to about 35,000 now here in the Silicon Valley and Bay Area. Uh, Amazon is reporting, preparing to lay off 10,000 workers with hundreds of them in the Bay Area. And then we got all the smaller ones. I mean, we got the famous ones like Meta and Twitter, but Stripe, Salesforce, Zillow, Snap, Robinhood, Microsoft, all laying off people. Is this the beginning or have we peaked? Uh, the layoffs, I think the beginning, um, don't forget, we've got Cisco just in the last 24 hours. Um, you know, yes, we've got some, some big companies, right? Amazon CEO, Andy Jassy also saying, hey, it's likely that layoffs will continue, that there will be more rounds at Amazon. Uh, shout out, by the way, to layoff.fyi. That's a fantastic site uh, to follow and keep track of these things. Um, I think it's the beginning of- That's good. Yeah, I think it's the beginning of layoffs I don't think it's anywhere near or anything near the end of Silicon Valley. Remember, a lot of these companies laying people off now are just going back to the levels that they were at even during the, you know, the, the height of the pandemic when they grew so much. It surprised a lot of us that the pandemic didn't, it not only didn't hurt tech companies, it actually helped them because people were so dependent on them and they grew so incredibly fast. And now we're realizing, okay, we're not quite as dependent day-to-day -day on that technology as we were before. So it makes sense to trim the sales. I think that's what we're seeing. Mix that in with almost recessionary times. People are dialing back their spending. Corporations are dialing back their spending. And for many businesses, most importantly, advertisers are dialing back their spending. 
you've got that toxic mix of our bottom lines aren't going to look that good for earning reports. Our stock prices are way down. It's time to shed people. And that's brutal and it's hard, but it doesn't mean that the tech industry is over. It means it's going through one of those adjustments and a, a seismic adjustment, a big shakeup. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to be out of work, but, um, you know, we're giving a lot of attention and a lot of oxygen which, to what's going on at Twitter. And that is crazy. Uh, and that is, you know, absolutely, absolute chaos. But the rest of the industry, I think, is doing what it needs to do to keep the bottom line strong for investors. Yeah, I got the usual question. Is this the end of the valley? And I, you know, I said, no, I've, this has happened 10 times before. And it's not even the worst one so far. But I will say, not only are the big companies doing these big showy layoffs, but underneath the surface, it, it turns out a lot of the smaller companies are about to do the same thing. I was talking to a woman today, her brother and her brother-in-law working at two startups, both said that their startups have already begun to institute a 30% layoff. And I bet that's happening to hundreds of companies out here right now. So we may get the real bombshell in the next couple of weeks, sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we'll see. Yeah, and I think Christmas is going to be a big indicator of where we're going, not only for our overall economy, but also for hardware. You know, hardware hasn't laid off nearly as much as software, but they kind of go hand in hand. If we sell fewer iPhones and, and you know, fewer uh, MacBooks, we sell fewer chips, fewer cars, fewer chips, et cetera. So how will holiday shopping be and what will that mean going forward? Um, and I think that's going to be interesting. And, and I think the tech industry will be watching that even more closely than usual. Well, good news and bad news. Uh, the, the rumor is Fed, the Fed rate increase in December is probably only going to be half a percentage point, not a three quarters. But one person close to the Fed predicted that in the long term, they're going to have to get all the way up to seven or seven and a half points total to, to beat this recession, this inflation. And, so and they're we'll saying, see. Yeah, I they're, mean, right, they're likely to raise more, but um, but perhaps slow down the rate. You know, we have seen the Dow and the NASDAQ go up recently. And I think that's because there's this feeling that maybe we're going to slow at least the pace of interest rate hikes. Right. So, okay, well, let's keep, you know, like light candles for a, for a happy holiday. Um, and folks, we're going to cut away and we'll come back. Scott will be at a very different location and we'll talk about the results of the trial today. Hi, everyone. We're back uh, with Scott returned from uh, covering the Elizabeth Holmes uh, penalty round today, penalty phase, uh, just to condense it, uh, 11 years and 11.25 uh, years, 11 years and three months at the uh, federal penitentiary in Dublin, also known as Pleasanton Penitentiary. penitentiary. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, let me ask you, what time did you get up this morning? <laughs> so I was up at about 4.15. Uh, there are only so many seats in the courtroom. And as we learned during Elizabeth Holmes's trial when she was on the stand, we have to get there early because there are no reserved seats for journalists or anything like that. So today was a very early day, a long day. But, you know, you you want to see the end of something that you covered for so long. So it's been a high energy day as well. I was thinking of you getting up at 4 a.m. a year ago on cold, wet days, and now it's 
It's come all the way around again, but it's finally over. I guess there's still a uh, restitution hearing coming up, but you won't be privy to that one, right? I'm not sure. Uh, the judge actually did put that off into the future, but he hinted very strongly that the $800 million the prosecution was seeking in restitution uh, is going to be much, much lower. Um, and uh, so it's not like Rupert Murdoch and Henry Kissinger and Betsy DeVos will be making dollar for dollar what they lost. Not that we expected that. The big drama was not so much on the money, I don't think, but on how much time Elizabeth yeah. Holmes will get. Well, now it was presented by uh, your legal expert on uh, NBC Bay Area that she actually might consider this a win, given what could have happened, that the judge deciding the, uh, you know, the case points and then comparing it to the recommended time to be served actually took the low end of the uh, of the range at 11 years and, and, and three months. Right. It's interesting because I was listening to him talk about that, and I had not heard of that before. I don't cover court all that much, but I also know that the um, the parole board, which the judge also listens to, had recommended nine years. So I think there was somewhere in a, a fairly tight range that Judge Davila was working with, and uh, it seemed like he stuck with that range. Eleven years feels like a long sentence, obviously, for a white-collar crime, but it was less than what the prosecution wanted um, and it's it's hard to know um, what people who wanted more are going to say. She was, you know, up for as much as 20 years, uh, but but did get 11. And yet that still feels like a long time. So I, I guess you could go either way. There were so many, um, so many guesses, Mike. It was just crazy up to the, the minute she was sentenced. People were telling me, oh, it's going to be a few months or it's going to be 20 years. So many, so few people ended up right. Uh Give me a sense. Uh, you you mentioned I saw I saw you do uh, several stand ups at the courthouse, and then I watched your camera guy running down the light rail track because it turned out that Holmes had gone out a back door, and then I watched you in the studio doing a stand up at four thirty, and then I guess you did another one at six. I mean, you have had a hell of a day. Well, first off, bless you for tuning in so much. We should do a marketing study on you. Uh, but yeah, it's been a big day. And it's just one of those things where um, you want to be fluid with the different media. This was a textbook case. And I mean the entire case where most of the audience lived on social media. People all over the place couldn't get enough of this, social, of this Elizabeth Holmes trial. And today was another huge day on Twitter for me, just pumping the news out. And then as a news station, it's exciting when instead of just saying, well, we'll stand here then and then we'll roll that tape then, it's more fluid. And yeah, you're going you're gonna to chase the defendant and then you're going to stand there and then we want you to come in here. And frankly, days like that are exciting and, you know, why I got into the business in the first place. You know, they did a long shot of you and it's you standing alone with the camera aimed at you on the tripod. And then behind you is this enormous swarm of media were they all doing taking turns in that location doing stand-ups or are you the man because this is your town well no i mean um we decided we would have a camera person in that big scrum uh and i was in that scrum this morning but in the afternoon the goal was have a camera in the scrum to get elizabeth holmes walking out but let's go live with our guy in the courtroom that was me and just talk about it because again um, you couldn't see any of it that was going down. You could follow the tweets, 
But, you know, if I'm tweeting out, wow, Elizabeth Holmes is getting very emotional in her testimony, um, you know, that there's something about talking that through as opposed to just sending out a tweet about it. And I think that was the goal was to let's get on the air and talk about what it was like when she was, you know, faced by a victim or when she had a chance to talk and just to sort of, you know, get that out. Because, again, people can't seem to get enough of this, whether on the small screen or the big screen. Like real life reporting. You don't get to do this very often in your life, you know. <laughs> um, give me a sense of inside the courtroom. How crowded was it? It was the most crowded I've ever been in a courtroom. This was um, all just shoulder to shoulder. Um, nine people in a, a booth that's sort of like a pew in a church. Um, and usually it's four, maybe five. This was nine and everyone. There were family members there, obviously a lot of press. Some of her friends were there. There were law students. There were people who show up to this trial because they're just flat out interested. Um, and there were some, some victims, some people who came uh, either to speak or to represent those who had you know, lost money. Or, or I mean, there's just so much interest in this. And a lot of people managed to get in um, if they, you know, got up early enough in the morning. How big was your global audience? How many eyeballs looked at your filings on Facebook and Twitter? Um, I mean, the Twitter audience, I think overall, I'd have to add it up, but it was probably at, at you know, in, in the millions total. I mean, it was just hit after hit after hit. People are really spreading this around. I have no idea about the eyeballs for TV, um, but um but yeah, it was, it was, you can tell when something is kind of a hit on social media, when people are really passing it around. Um, and during the times when I would stay off Twitter and try to pay attention to the court case, the legal proceedings, people would be tweeting back at me, give me more, give me more. I want more right now. Um, wow. And uh, you realize that's, you know, you're the, the window into this trial that they're so fascinated with. So it started officially at 10 a.m., but the verdict didn't come down till like three. The sentence, what? The sentencing, I mean, what took so long? Uh, you know, this judge, Judge Davila, is, yeah, I mean, he's he's very thorough. The case, both cases, Holmes and Balwani, lasted a long time uh, because he let everybody speak and, and say their piece. Um, and I think he's just a very thorough, efficient judge who doesn't want to get to a point where people say, hey, something went wrong during the trial. So he really dotted every I. And today, um, there was some familiarity. We heard a lot from the defense and a lot from the prosecution about arguments that we had heard before. And it was almost like, wait a minute, this stuff has been decided. And that's why we're here at a sentencing hearing. So a lot of that went by. And then there were things to clear up that were specific. We talked through those. Um, there were some victim statements. Holmes got a chance to speak. And then uh, there was a quick break of about 15 minutes. And then Judge Davila um, said, okay, sentencing time. And that took about a half an hour because he stretched it out with talk of you know, you would have been proud. The Valley of the Heart's Delight and Apple's founding in the garage and how Silicon Valley is this and that. And what it can't be is fraudulent. And that's really when he brought it home. And so as you heard the thing go down the line, you could see this was going to end badly for Elizabeth Holmes. Uh, I understand that she gave a, a tearful, contrite statement, brief, but, you know, fairly moving. Yeah, all those things. Um, and unlike the Elizabeth Holmes that we heard on the stand a year ago, who was still confident in explaining what was going on and how she wanted to change the world, this was, like you say, a very contrite Elizabeth Holmes. She spoke a brief time. She stood up. She was in tears um, talking about how she regrets her mistakes. Um, you know, the, these she founded this company literally half a lifetime ago for her. And she says she's learned a lot. She feels bad for her investors, her employees, her family. 
and there's so many things she'd she'd do again. I don't think it changed Judge Davila's mind, but um, it was like like you know so many things uh, that she's done impressive and and thoughtful. Though I detected when you were talking about it in your standup um, that the effect of her statement was tempered by some of the statements by the victims, especially the Schultz family. Right. That one. That one seemed to kind of affect you a little bit too. What you happened? Know, yeah, that was I think the most meaningful emotional part of the trial. Not even what Holmes said, or excuse me, part of the uh, the day's sentencing was Alex Schultz. Now his father is George Schultz. Yeah. You know, uh, American icon, big investor in Theranos, board member. His son is Tyler Schultz, Theranos employee turned whistleblower. And if you read Bad Blood by John Carreyrou or, or, you know, sort of followed the case, you know that that family was really torn apart because George Schultz, the older, uh, was really fighting with Tyler Schultz, the younger, because they disagreed on, on Elizabeth Holmes. And when Alex Schultz, the father, sort of the middleman in this, got up, he pointed right at Elizabeth Holmes and said, you caused a huge strife in my family. My family will never be the same because of you. So this isn't someone who was saying I'm an investor. It wasn't someone who was saying I was a patient. It was, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, even more personal than that, in that it really affected their family. So the family was the enormous tension right at the time of Secretary Schultz's death. Right. So it's never going to be reconciled. I assume no. that. And Tyler Schultz has spoken about that, saying... That's one of his great regrets um, is that it turned out that way. And Alex Schultz, his father, and, and George's son also spoke about that, saying that really the family wound can't be healed. It just can't. And that yeah. was because of Theranos. Well, um, tell me about the actual sentencing moment. Was there was there a shock in the crowd? Was it quiet? It was, was quiet. Um, and it was, for me, there was a second of wishing I had done better in mathematics because God bless Judge Davila. He announced the sentencing in months. And so he did something like 138 months. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't mean what I have to do. I'm literally on a calculator. You'll divide on by 12. Calculator. Yeah, real quick. Uh, yeah. And it was just one of those where you couldn't just say how many years. Anyway, it was silence. It was a breath that people took because you knew it could be serious. You knew it could be a long sentence, but to hear it 11 years, you know, nobody doesn't know how long that is, young or old, that's a long sentence. And it was a finality to all of this. Um, I mean, I know there's likely to be an appeal or whatever, but this was the end of a long line and a very serious end. And so when he said it, there was almost a minute of silence of people just sort of digesting it. And I was watching when I wasn't doing the calculations on my phone to figure out how long it was. I was watching Elizabeth to see what she did. And she stood, she was just looking forward for a while. And, and even her family, nobody moved right away. And then she turned around and, and tearfully hugged her family. And that part, you know, people then said, oh, okay, we have permission to stand up and do our, you know, our hugs or our outdoor things if we're journalists and whatever. But there was uh, a little minute there where I think people just digested what they had heard. Well, and that's this a 38-year-old woman with, who's pregnant with a, a toddler. And she if if they if she gets the full sentence, if she carries it out completely, she's gonna be 50 years old right. by the time. And her kids are gonna be on the brink of being teenagers. Right. And uh 
I, I mean, I, I don't know, um, I, you know, this is something we can't relate to most of us, right? I mean, she uh, got pregnant uh, after the guilty verdicts. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, say what you will, there's a time and, you know, family planning is family planning, but um, it's it's hard to imagine that there wasn't at least the possibility in that calculation of, I'm going to be in prison for quite a while as soon as this baby is born. Now she's going to be up in Dublin, which is actually where Lori Laughlin went to, right. apparently, not for quite as long. Uh, but it's only an hour away from her home on the peninsula. So, and I guess this is a minimum security federal facility, so she can have visitors a lot and that sort of thing. But her kids are going to see her most of the time through a screen. Yeah, I'm not sure how it works, uh, but right, this is a white collar criminal who's likely to stay in the Bay Area and um, and will have two very, very young ch uh, children. Um, if, and right. And and I mean, again, I, whatever is next is uh, is going to be rough, no doubt. Now, you got asked, what were the lessons of all this? Will it change the valley? I noticed the legal expert that was on, he came down pretty strong that Silicon Valley has a broken morality and, you know, this has got to be fixed and changed. And I got kind of a chill down my back because this is a town built on risk-taking and entrepreneurship. And, you know, there's haven't been that many cases of people crossing the line into illegality. And to tar the entire town as being broken because of Elizabeth Holmes. I mean, we kind of, we've talked about this the last couple of years on this podcast. Is is she exemplary of, of Silicon Valley or is she an anomaly? And my sense is she's actually kind of an anomaly that we've had thousands of companies get started here and how many of them really crossed the line into full-blown illegality? I agree with that. I think she is a bit of an... Uh... An, an abnormality, call it that. It's not abnormal to get ahead of your skis, get too cocky with money, and hyperbole, oh, hyperbole in promotion. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Hyperbole, you know, even lying to investors. But to put out a product uh, that's involved with somebody's health, um, when yes. you know that product doesn't work, um, yes. makes her the abnormality. And I, you know, obviously she's going to prison because of investor fraud. But I know there are a lot of people out there that do not forgive her or Theranos for putting those machines out there and lying to the investors, saying they work, they're in the military, they are all over the place. And um, so if there is a lesson to be learned, I can see board of directors in the future telling their young hotshot CEOs, look, you know, be aggressive, be confident, raise a ton of money, but we need to spend a little extra time to make sure we're not getting too far over our skis and going into illegality because yes. maybe just maybe people are going to be watching a little more closely now. And this becomes a cautionary tale that in the future is healthy for tech and consumers. And you and I both know women executives that are furious about this because they've been, excuse me, they've been tarred with the same brush that they have trouble enough getting money from venture capitalists, but now they're going to be looked upon twice. Like, well, is she scamming us? Is this another Elizabeth Holmes? Right. I mean, the Valley needs to put that aside right quick if it wants to succeed. Right because again, Absolutely. right, Elizabeth Holmes is an abnormality, I would say. I think we agree on that. And 
we need more female founders. We need more female VCs. We need more money in the pipeline for females. And um, and this, you know, it's 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 obviously unfortunate. And and I understand where those executives are coming from. But to say that this is going to put a a chill on funding female founded companies is is terrible. It should not happen. And I would say the same for healthcare and biotech. We need people out there to be chasing and, and you know raising money to fight diseases. Uh, and um, but to certainly do it in a legal way and a non-fraudulent way. And the irony is, if she had said the product just doesn't work early on, before she began to you know lie, and the company had died, she would have had a, a, what was considered a successful failure, and she probably would have been able to start another company and raise a lot of money and do it again. So right. she cut her own throat twice on this thing, and. Uh, you know, uh, she'll stand as an object lesson. If she wanted fame, she got it in Silicon Valley history. She's going to go down. She'll be remembered forever. But I'm not sure it's the way she planned it. Exactly. I mean, hubris goes a long way towards ruining careers. And you're right. I was asked about that today. We in Silicon Valley celebrate failure. We refund the failures because then they end up bringing us PayPal and Tesla and Google and all that stuff, Hotmail, uh, after they failed. Um, right. but not this, uh, not this was illegal and it hurt a lot of people. Um, and so, right. It, it, there's hubris, there's just uh, keeping going and then lying to people for too long. And it caught up with Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani. And I'll, and I'll tell you another Valley truth. And that is somebody in a few years is actually going to come up with a working version of the, of the Theranos product. Old That's how, there are so many dead technologies that revive 15, 20 years later in this town. And I'm wagering that it'll be for that too. And she'll probably learn about it sitting up there in Dublin. Maybe so. Um, maybe so. But yeah. All right. Well, you still have to go on the air again, don't you? I do. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, get some sleep after that and have a, have a great weekend. And folks, I'm not, I'll just say goodbye. I'm not going to read all the usual stuff. Uh, thanks for uh, listening in, as always, and watching, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>